welcome to the 45th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead, turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week we're doing a single serving size episode, and that's an episode in which we talk about something under my three-movie limit for a series to be considered a franchise. These are typically standalone movies that have some sort of significant impact on the horror genre. And this time we're talking about a very heavy hitter. That is 1980's The Shining and this year's sequel, Dr. Sleep. Both are based on Stephen King's books by the same name. Note, I did not read the books. Um... So we're just going to be talking about the movies. Number one, The Shining from 1980. Directed, produced, and screenplay by Stanley Kubrick. Co-written by Diane Johnson. Starring Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance. Scatman Carruthers as Dick Halloran. Danny Lloyd as Danny Torrance. Music was by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkin. Produced by the Producer Circle, Peregrine Productions, and Hawk Films, and distributed by Warner Brothers. The runtime is 2 hours and 26 minutes. And then secondly, Dr. Sleep, which came out this year, so 39 years later. Directed by Mike Flanagan, who is one of my most favorite uh, directors who's currently working. He's done a number of movies we've talked about uh, before. He did the, ha- the Haunting of Hill House, also Gerald's Game, Hush, just to name a few. Dr. Sleep was produced by Trevor Macy and John Berg. It stars Ewan McGregor as an adult Dan Torrance, Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat, Kylie Kern as Abra Stone, and this was her film debut, and Cliff Curtis as Dan's friend and AA sponsor Billy. Carl Lumbly also starred as Dick Halloran. Roger Del Floyd played a young Danny. Dakota Hickman played an older Abra. I'm sorry, a younger Abra. And music was by the Newton Brothers. Production company was Intrepid Pictures and Vertigo Entertainment. And the movie was distributed by Warner Brothers. The total time on the movie is 2 hours and 32 minutes. Where to watch these movies? The Shining is on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, and Voodoo for $4. It is not on Netflix, Shudder, or Hulu, or Tubi for free. Dr. Sleep is still currently in theaters, so it's not on the video on demand, at least not the last time I looked a couple days ago. Rotten Tomato scores. The Shining. Currently listed, critics 85%, audience is 93%. Dr. Sleep, critics currently give it a 76%, audience is 90%. So that's pretty high for both of those. I'll just briefly go over the plot for both movies. The plot is pretty straightforward. But before I, ta- I start with The Shining, I wanted to play the theme song from The Shining, which, as I said before, is by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Eklund. And it definitely is menacing and gets you in the mood. So here it is.
So the plot for The Shining is a writer, Jack Torrance, his wife and young son, travel to the isolated Overlook Hotel. And the father, the father will serve as the caretaker for the winter while the hotel shut down. They are completely isolated from the outside world. And we learn from the hotel general manager that the hotel is built on an Indian burial ground. So that should be your first clue something's wrong. And he also tells Jack that a previous caretaker killed his family and himself there. Uh, that should be another clue you should leave immediately. But they, of course, don't. So we gradually learn that the son Danny has some sort of special powers. He has an imaginary friend named Tony. And both he and cook Dick Halloran have what is called the shine. And that means they can psychically communicate with each other, see things that others can't, and also I think that they can travel back and forth through time. There's definitely lots of things to see at the Overlook Hotel because the place is crawling with spirits. Uh, Dick warns Danny to stay away from room 237. And this is before he leaves to go to Florida for the winter. Um, Jack, who is a recovering alcoholic, starts to lose his mind relatively early in the movie. And at some point, he ends up at a ball in the gold room, which is the banquet room of the hotel. And they are playing the song. Uh, lots of guests are there, and they're playing the song Midnight, the Stars, and You, which I would like to also play for you now.
So, of course, Jack is seeing lots of things that may or may not be there. He goes crazy. He starts drinking again. Um, he becomes more and more unhinged all the time. He uh, terrorizes his wife and son and at some point decides that he needs to kill them uh, with an axe. And uh, Wendy takes Danny, runs into the bathroom, shoves him out the bathroom window um, where he escapes outside, but of course she can't leave. Jack breaks through the door in a uh, one of the most famous scenes in any movie uh, with an axe. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And luckily she stabs him in the hand. He retreats and then heads outside to the hedge maze where he is trying to kill Danny with an axe. And then Danny manages to outsmart him by... Uh, retracing his footprint. So Danny escapes with Wendy. They get in the, um, whatever those snowmobiles are called, a cat something, um, and then they travel, we presume, to safety uh, because we don't see them again. And then Jack freezes to death in the hedge maze. We see a shot of that. And then the very final scene of the picture is the party guest, oh, is a picture on the wall of the hotel which is the party guest from a party from 1921, and there amongst them in the front is Jack. So that's how The Shining ends. Next up, Dr. Sleep. A grown-up Danny, who's now going by Dan, suffers from alcoholism just like his father, and he finally learns to use his gifts to help the dying pass over. That's where he gets his name, Dr. Sleep. A girl named Abra psychically connects with him, and they discover a group called the True Knot, which is led by someone named Rose the Hat. And they're a type of psychic vampire that prey on others who shine, like Dan and Dick, um, and they kill them in order to feed on their steam. And the more they torture them, the better the steam is. So Rose says Abra is the most powerful um I don't know what you what you'll call it. the most powerful person with shine that she has seen. So they definitely want to feed off of her. Another problem is is they're all starving because there aren't as many people around anymore that used to shine, probably because they ate them all. Um, so they go after Abra, and then Dan and his friend Billy try to protect her, and an all-out battle ensues. A number of people die, including Abra's father, the friend Billy. Uh, all the members of the True Knot except for Rose. And then Danny and Abra lure Rose back to the Overlook Hotel. And there Dan encounters a bartender, and we're not sure really if it's Lloyd from the previous movie or his father Jack. Um, but he tries to trick him into drinking again, just like Jack uh, was tricked into drinking by Lloyd in the first movie. And then... Danny and Rose engage in an all-out battle in which he releases all the spirits of the hotel that he had successfully boxed up all those years ago. And this is a trick that Dick had showed him in order to keep the spirits from bothering him. So Rose is consumed by the spirits before she can kill Abra. And then in the final scene, we see Abra back at her home talking to Dan, and her mother calls her for dinner, and Dan tells Abra to shine on, and we now know from that scene that she's actually speaking to his spirit. Dan um, turned the boilers on and uh, in the Overlook Hotel and then caused it to burn to the ground, so she is speaking to his spirit. And she had not told her mother previously about who she communicate with, but now she decides to, and she tells her mother she was speaking with Dan, and also that her father that was killed and her grandmother, who had previously passed away, are at peace as well. So that's the basic plot. Now, the difference between the books and the movies, as I said, I didn't read the books. But this is from what I can gather the basic differences. So Stephen King has gone on the record many times as saying he hated The Shining. And some of that might have to do with how Kubrick deviated from his original story. So uh, the first way is the ending. In the book, the hotel burns to the ground due to Jack not tending to the boilers. And notice um, 
what happened in The Shining, the movie, of course, is that he froze to death outside in the hedge, and then Wendy and Danny escaped. Note that the book's ending is actually how Dr. Sleep, the movie, ended. So he brought that back around. Uh, number two, in the book, Dick is not killed by Jack, but instead escapes the hotel with Wendy and Danny, and he later becomes a close friend uh, of them both. Uh, the room number, room 237. That's the room number in the movie. In the book, the room number is 217. More on that later. And then the characters. For the character of Jack King, wanted, a, quote, a normal-looking guy who would then slowly descend into madness. And this is obviously not Jack Nicholson because he looks crazy pretty much all the time. Uh, King had instead suggested John Voight or Michael Moriarty, but Nicholson was Kubrick's first choice. He had also considered after Nicholson possibly Robert De Niro or Robin Williams or Harrison Ford. I would have been very interested to see how Robin Williams played this role. For Wendy, King had envisioned a blonde woman who... Um, was much stronger in character and stood up to her husband. This is obviously not Shelley Duvall because she is a nervous wreck and hysterical through the, throughout the entire movie, which is what Kubrick wanted. And Kubrick said he changed this because a stronger woman would have not stayed with an abusive husband like Jack. Um, King later did a 1997 miniseries on ABC, also called The Shining, what's called Stephen King's The Shining, uh, which was much closer to his vision. I did not see this, and to be honest, I didn't even know it existed until we, uh, until I started looking at this, uh, series. So, um, as I said, I didn't see it, but I did watch a bunch of clips about it on YouTube. There are three episodes totaling 273 minutes. It was shot at the real Stanley Hotel, which of course we've said is the inspiration for King's book. It stars Stephen Weber as Jack, Rebecca De Mornay as Wendy, Cortland Mead is a young Danny, and Will Horneff is an older Danny. Melvin Van Peebles is da uh, Dick Halloran, and uh, Melvin is uh, uh, Marlo Van. What's his name? Marlon Van Peebles. Um, you know who I mean. His father. Um, this version differs in that Jack chases them with a mallet, a big mallet instead of an axe, and then Wendy puts up much more of a fight here. There's also a mean fire hose that's possessed and has teeth, and there are a number of topiary animals that attack people. In the end, as we've said, it ends as the book did, with the hotel burning to the ground, and there is also an ending scene ten years later where Danny graduates from high school, and then the audience is Wendy and Dick looking on, and then Danny also sees the spirit of his father, who tells him he's proud of him. Supporting materials. There's a number of supporting uh, documentaries, YouTube videos, and other supporting materials about these movies. Obviously, I won't go through all of them. I'll just hit a couple of the highlights that you might not know about. There's a documentary called Room 237, and that is either available on YouTube for free or Amazon for $4. Uh, it's listed under Room 237-2012, and it's by Bill Blakemore, Jeffrey Cox, and Julie Kearns. And it partially covers several of the most popular interpretations of Kubrick's movies. One is that uh, The Shining is really about Native American genocide. Uh, the second one is The Shining is really about the Nazis and the Holocaust. And the third one, if you didn't think those two were out there far enough, the third one is um, what they believe is proof that Kubrick faked the Apollo moon landings and that he put into the movie The Shining clues that he did that. Uh, I'm personally not buying it. But uh, it's interesting to see what they can come up with based on the movie. Uh, there's another documentary called Making the Shining from 1980, and that's actually by Stanley's daughter, Vivian Kubrick. 
and it's only 30 minutes long. It originally aired on BBC since Kubrick lived in England, and it's available on YouTube for free. I uh, also want to mention, because I don't think I put it in trivia, that uh, Vivian also appeared as one of the guests in the ballroom scene in um, The Shining. There's also another one, Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick, A Life in Pictures from 2001. And there are a number of videos currently on YouTube that have Easter eggs uh, regarding Dr. Sleep. And there is another one called Shining Secrets of the Stanley Hotel, available on Amazon for $4. And that talks, talks about, of course, the writing of The Shining, the room they stayed in, room 217, and paranormal activity in the hotel, because many people actually believe that the Stanley Hotel is haunted. Okay, uh, The Shining Trivia. Had a budget of $19 million and made $45.7 million. Although opening to mixed reviews and relatively poor box office numbers, the film is now considered one of the greatest and most influential horror movies ever. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. Almost all of Stephen King's works exist in a shared universe. Dick Halloran appears briefly in It, so you might not know that. Um, the apparitions that the family encounters in the hotel include Lloyd the bartender, the young and old woman in room 237, Grady in the ballroom in the bathroom, the Grady twins, who apparently were sisters in the book and not twins, the elevator of blood, the pig bear man, whatever he is, uh, the guy who says great party, isn't it, which is supposed to be Horace Derwent, who was the previous owner of the hotel. Um, it was Danny Floyd's idea to move his finger when speaking as Tony. Uh, you know, when he says, Red Rob. Um, he also, I have also have another clip here of him speaking as Tony. Red Rob. Red Rob. Red Rob. Red Rob. Danny? Red Rob. Red Rob. And Rob. Red Rob. Danny, what's the matter, hon? Red Rob. You having a bad dream? Danny? Duvall considered this the hardest role of her career. She was openly antagonized by Kubrick, he said, in order to get a better performance from her. The two often argued, and Kubrick made her shoot the baseball bat scene 127 times. This scene is in the Guinness Book of World Records for most retakes of a single scene. Nichol Nicholson said her role was the hardest one he'd ever seen an actress play. Per Shelley Duvall, the Here's Johnny scene took three days to shoot and 60 doors. And they had to make the doors stronger because Nicholson kept breaking through them too easily. And that's because he used to be a volunteer fireman. Angelica Houston, who was living with Nicholson at the time, said due to the number of hours they were forced to work, Nicholson often came home and went straight to bed due to exhaustion. Um, Jack tells Ullman, the general manager, when they arrive at the hotel that his wife is, quote, a confirmed ghost story and horror film addict. 
And I always thought that was a very strange line. So I'm not sure why that was thrown in there, but I just wanted to mention it. Um, Nicholson said there were so many continual changes in the script that he would just read the new ones the day he was given them. Kubrick originally wanted Slim Pickens for the role of Halloran, but Slim wanted nothing to do with Kubrick after working with him on Dr. Strangelove from 1964. Jack Nicholson suggested Scatman Carruthers for the film instead, and Kubrick made him do a hundred takes for one of the scenes and caused him to cry. And Nicholson swore at that point that he would never work with Kubrick again. Nicholson had also suggested Jessica Lang for the role of Wendy originally. And I've already said this, the book is based on the suspected really haunted Stanley Hotel, which is in Estes Park, Colorado. The movie's exterior shots, though, are of Timberline Lodge on Mount Hood in Oregon. And all of the interior rooms of the Overlook Hotel were filmed in Elstree Park, I'm sorry, Elstree Studios in England. And many of the interior designs were based on, I'm going to mess up this word, I'm sure, Awani Hotel in Yosemite National Park. Much of the floor plans for the hotel don't really make any sense logistically. There's a window in Ullman's office where one cannot be. Uh, there's a maze of hallways and rooms that spatially don't fit. Um, and these may be intended to keep the audiences off guard. In some of those documentaries, they have people like actually drawing out the floor plan to show, you know, what would work and what wouldn't. Uh, because of the intense heat generated from the lighting used to generate window sunlight, the lounge set at Elstree Studios caught fire and burned down. Garrett Brown, the inventor of the Steadicam, operated it during The Shining himself. This was the seventh film to use the technique. And the Steadicam is, uh, I know you've seen it, it's uh, like um, it fits onto a vest that the camera operator holds so they can walk around much more easily with the camera and follow the action. The two actors who played young and old, young and the old woman in the tub in room 237 never appeared in any other movies. The shot of the tennis ball running into Danny's toys took 50 takes to get, get right. Kubrick also shot the film in script order, which is pretty unusual. And Kubrick's secretary spent weeks and possibly months typing, I'll work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, for those scenes where Wendy looks through his uh, typing to find out he has typed the same word over and over and over again. I also heard another story that Kubrick had typed them himself, so I'm not sure which is true. Either way, they also did versions in other languages and with a phrase that would make more sense to that particular language. Saul Bass produced around 300 versions of the film's poster before Kubrick approved it. Um, and I think I already said this, but just in case, uh, the room number 217 was changed to 237 in the movie because the uh, Stanley Hotel was afraid that no one would stay in room 217 if people thought it was haunted from the movie. And now, actually, you know, you could probably make a really good business off of it being supposedly haunted. The film was supposed to take 17 weeks to shoot, but instead took over a year. Because of its length, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Reds were delayed since they needed to use the same studios. <coughs> Excuse me. Lloyd the Bartender was originally to be played by Harry Dean Stanton, but he was busy doing Alien. The color red is seen in almost every scene in the movie. And Grady spills Advocate, which is a yellow liqueur, on Jack in the Gold Room. And this is a Dutch drink uh, made from eggs, sugar, and brandy. 4,000 kids auditioned for the role of Danny in Denver, Chicago, Cincinnati, and other cities. And while Wendy Carlos and Rachel Eklund wrote a full electronic skip script for the film and are credited as doing the music for the film... Kubrick discarded much of it and used classical music instead. 
only the music from the opening credits, the music during the drive to the hotel, and a few others, such as Halloran's plane trip back to Overlook, survived. Danny Lloyd is currently a uh, biology professor at a community college in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Danny's middle name in the book and movie is Anthony, hence the name of his imaginary friend Tony. Jack also has the same middle name. At one point, Kubrick was in the running to direct The Exorcist, and he said he would only do it if he could produce it as well. The executive producer of The Shining was Kubrick's brother-in-law, Jan Harlan. His wife, Christiane, helped with the set design. His daughter, Vivian, who we've already talked about, helped with music. And we already said that she did the documentary, The Making of the Shining. And besides doing the music for The Shining, Wendy Carlos also has three Grammy Awards for her album, Switched on Bach. It was performed on a Moog synthesizer, which she helped make popular during the 1970s. She also did the work for The Clockwork Orange and Tron, and in 1979, she became one of the first public figures to disclose having undergone gender reassignment surgery. Jack Nicholson and Joe Turkell rehearsed the Gold Room scene for six months. Six months, sorry, six weeks. Uh, Nicholson said it was his favorite of the movie. The MPAA board did not allow blood to be shown on trailers for all audiences at that time. Kubrick convinced them that the blood was actually rusty water and they were able to release the trailers. The 1921 photo can be seen with Kubrick's uh, exhibitions. Upon closer inspection, you'll see Jack's head was airbrushed into the scene and is slightly larger than the rest. Um, and then many people have hypothesized as to what that last scene means. Um, does it mean that Jack is the reincarnation of the person in the picture and was always destined to go back to the Overlook? I personally think so because Grady says to him um, when they're in the bathroom, you've always been the caretaker of the hotel. So I think he and the other reincarnations of the other people... Um, who were in that picture, probably I'll try to come back to that hotel. Kubrick's first choice to play Danny was Carrie Guffey, who was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. His parents turned down the offer due to the subject matter. And here's a strange one. The magazine Jack is reading in the lobby right before his job interview with Ullman is a 1978 Playgirl. I mean, it's, it would be weird if it was a Playboy, but it's a Playgirl. Girl, I'm not sure why anyone would be reading that in the lobby of a hotel before a job interview. So that's a that's a very strange one. Some people have said that he was reading an article in there about incest and that the movie hints that Jack was molesting Danny. Um, and that the pig bear man is a representation of that. So I don't know. It's just a strange thing to add. Um, despite it being a horror movie, only two people are killed in the movie. Dick, who was axed by Jack when he came back to the hotel to save Danny, and Jack, of course, who froze to death in the hedge maze. The film originally had an alternate ending. Wendy is in the hospital and Danny's playing in the waiting room. Ullman tells them that Jack's body was never found, and he gives Danny a ball, and it's the same ball that rolled to him in the hotel. So I'm personally glad they did not include this scene. I think it's perfect um, the way it is. Now, next up to Dr. Sleep, I want to play uh, one of the opening songs on Dr. Sleep. Uh, I don't think I can pronounce this right. It is spelled D-I-E-S-I-R-A-E slash Violet, and it incorporates the original Shining theme. So here you go.
Dr. Sleep had a budget of 45 to 55 million dollars. The box office is currently 53.8 million dollars. So, um, it's not done too well at the box office, but uh, my my personal interpretation is uh, I don't know many people who actually go to the movies regularly anymore. I mean, they'll go for a big, uh, you know, a big blockbuster like a Marvel, like um, Avengers Endgame, but uh, I just don't think people go to the movies as much as they used to. Uh, King originally got the idea for Dr. Sleep when someone at book signing asked him what happened to Danny. And Warner Brothers originally developed a film adaptation by Akiva Goldman shortly after King published the book in 2013. They couldn't get funding, however, until the success of 2017's It. And Flanagan was hired um, then to rewrite the script and direct. Flanagan hoped to reconcile the differences between the first movie and the books with this installment. And that's a pretty tall order uh, to try to please all those different fan groups. I think he did a good job of it, though. Uh, Warner Brothers had Flanagan write a sequel with the working title Halloran based on Dick Halloran's character, but due to low box office performance, the status of that project is currently unclear. Um, did you notice that Lloyd, or Jack, whoever he's supposed to be, is played by Henry Thomas, who was also in The Haunting of Hill House, because Flanagan likes to use the same actors over and over again for many of his projects, which I really like. Danny Lloyd, the original Danny Torrance, makes a cam cameo at Bradley Trevor's baseball game. He's a spectator in the stands, and he's been retired from acting since he was a little boy. Most re recreations of the Shining scenes were done with duplicate sets and look-alike actors. Three shots were reused from the original movie. Number one, the aerial shot of the water leading up to the mountain at the beginning, and then three shots of the car driving up the mountain road, and they were changed from daylight to nighttime, and snow was digi digitally added. Other actors considered for Dan Torrance, besides Ewan McGregor, include Dan Stevens, Chris Edwards, Evans, Matt Smith, and Jeremy Renner. John Cusack also expressed interest. Mike Flanagan recreated the sets of the Overlook Hotel from blueprints acquired from Stanley Kubrick's estate. And now here I'd like to play one of the songs from Dr. Sleep, and this is called The Overlook and it is by the Newton Brothers. The office where Dan is interviewed for the orderly job is the same room layout that Jack interviewed for as the caretaker in The Shining. And the name of the cat that enters the dying patient's room uh, in Doctor Sleep is Azzy, short for Azriel, which means the angel of death. The young girl named Violet at the beginning of the movie, who is accosted by the true knot, is played by Violet McGraw. And if she looks familiar, she played a young Nell or Eleanor Crane from The Haunting of Hill House. Hence, uh, Mike Flanagan liking to use the same actors over again. 
Carol Stuchin, who played Grandpa Flick, also appeared in Jack Nicholson's uh, with Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick, and he played the chauffeur in that, and he also worked with Flanagan previously on Gerald's Game. Many of Rose's accessories are trophies from the children she has killed, including bracelets, hairbands, a bike chain, etc. Except for Crow Daddy, the entire True Knot group is made up of actors from Flanagan's previous movies. So the characters' names are Snakebite Annie, Grandpa Flick, who we already talked about, Silent Sari, Barry, and Short Eddie. In the book, it turns out Abra's mother is Dan's half-sister, so Abra is indeed his niece. She refers to him in the film as Uncle Dan, but um, it is not discussed other than he thinks, it, you know, they need to have a reason why a little girl would be hanging around with an adult guy um, so people don't get suspicious. Uh, too bad they didn't add that. I think that would have been an interesting addition. There are several Dark Tower references in this movie. I won't go into them. Uh, this is the fourth King film released this year after Pet Cemetery, It, and The Tall Grass. And in the final scene, Danny tells Abra to shine on. The term shine came from John Lennon's song Instant Karma, which has a chorus, and we all shine on. Okay, why should you watch these movies? The Shining is consistently ranked as the best horror movie ever in many, many lists. In 2018, The Shining was added to the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Other rankings and honors include it was ranked 29th on the AFI's 100 Years 100 Thrills in 2001. Jack Torrance is the 25th greatest villain on AFI's 100 Years 100 Heroes and Villains list. Um, Here's Johnny is ranked number 68 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes, and I have a clip of that right now. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Here's Johnny! Bravo TV also named the act scene as the sixth scariest on their list of 100 scariest movie moments. On to the recipe. You may be wondering what I was going to come up with this week, or you may have already guessed it because it's Advocate, which is the drink that Grady spilled on Jack. I never heard of it before, so that's why I wanted to look it up. And as I said earlier, it's a traditional Dutch alcoholic beverage made from eggs, sugar, and brandy. And it also can be used um, a number of different ways. So let me just go over a few ways. Um, in, in its thickest, it they, they like it thicker than traditional, what we would think of as American eggnog. So if it's really, really thick, it's more like a custard. And then in some cases, they remove the white from the egg. And it's used on uh, waffles, pancakes, um, and ice cream as a topping. Uh, it can also be topped with whipped cream and sprinkled with cocoa powder. And in Belgian restaurants and taverns, it may be a complimentary uh, accompaniment to a coffee. When it is exported, it is sometimes used in a... Um, the, the liqueur is used in something called a snowball, and that's a mixture of advocate, sparkling lemonade, and sometimes lime juice. And it is often consumed near Christmas time, hence the name Snowball. Uh, another one is called the Fluffy Duck, which is made with Advocate and rum. And then there's another one that is Advocate based called the Bombardino. And that's a drink commonly found in Italian ski resorts, particularly the Italian Alps. Uh, 
and it's made by mixing Advocate brandy and whipped cream. Uh, as I mentioned, it can also be used in eggnog, and I will include the recipe here from the spruceeats.com for traditional Dutch Advocate uh, liqueur. Where to find us? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. We need all the help we can get. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com or check us out on our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. So in conclusion, does The Shining live up to all the hype? It's, you know, very personal choice. Um, I'm not sure it should be considered the best horror movie ever, but it's definitely up there and it is definitely a work of art. Everything is visual, visually stunning. Nothing is placed in the frame by accident. Um, and you can tell that uh, that's true given people are still obsessing over it some 40 years later. The actors are spot on. Jack Nicholson is um, excellent, I think. And, of course, he's scary normally. So I think that was excellent casting. Poor Shelley Duvall did a great job as being completely hysterical. Uh, even though some people, including Stephen King, have said that, you know, um, the movie is, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, treats women, does not depict women uh, equally to men. Chauvinistic, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, but uh, according to what Kubrick had later said, that was supposed to be the point in that a stronger woman would not have stayed with Jack given his behavior and abuse of her and Danny. Um, I also thought Danny did a great job. I can't remember how old he was in this movie. I think maybe five, between five and eight. Anyway, I think he did a great job, and I enjoyed seeing him zooming around on his three-wheeler throughout the halls of the hotel. One initial criticism of The Shining was that it was not scary enough to be a horror movie, and I can see why you might think that, but it's actually more psychological horror than out-and-out gore, which I personally prefer anyway. And the movie is really about the deterioration of a family due to the father's alcoholism. So that's really the basic crux of the movie, and then, of course, all the spirits are added on um, top of that. Uh, Dr. Sleep, although the pacing of Dr. Sleep was a bit off for me, and again, I saw it in a movie theater where I really couldn't wander off and do anything else. If I had seen it at home, maybe I wouldn't think this, but um, it seemed to be a lot of time uh, establishing the characters uh, before we actually got to some action. Uh, despite that, I would still give it a thumbs up. I think it's a worthy successor to the original. I think Flanagan did an excellent job of, um, as I said, paying homage to the previous books and also the Shining movie. Anyone who's a fan of the Shining, I think, will like this. Um, I also enjoyed how Danny used his gifts. It's, it was very touching and that he was able to uh, help dying patients pass over um, by giving them calming thoughts. Um, so I thought that was pretty touching. My favorite part of Dr. Sleep was Rose the Hat. I think Rebecca Ferguson knocked it out of the park. She was definitely very menacing. And I also love Abra. She did an excellent job, especially since this was her film debut and uh, for being so young. Um, she was able... I found her character compelling on screen, and sometimes when I see child actors, I just, they just irritate me or bore me, and I want them to go away, but I never felt that uh, from watching her. Um, I'd like to see if there's ever a future installment where they were talking about she has a dark side, kind of what that means for her as she grows up. And I also enjoyed especially them revisiting the Overlook Hotel, although we, we didn't get to see great lot of it. I, I did enjoy that. I thought that was a great conclusion. So that's what I have for this week. Uh, we'll see you next week for another horror franchise. And until then, make sure you stay away from the Outlook Hotel. Thanks. Bye.